Welcome to the CEC Report. It's the 31st of August. I'm Robert Barwick, and joining me today is the CEC's Victoria State Chairman, Jeremy Beck. Welcome, Jeremy. Thanks, Robbie. Um, Jeremy, before we begin, it's the 31st of August, so as the great poet Shelley said, if winter comes, can spring be far behind? We've made it. I just want to say that because it's been bloody cold. Uh, in the next two days, it's going to be like winter. <laughs> Great. Anyway, so um, mm. these are, we're having cold winters again, and you can certainly feel it. All right. Um, this week's on the CEC report. Australia can't control rising interest rates that will crash the bubble and the criminal banks and prepare for a fake chemical attack in Syria as regime change fails. So first, Australia can't control rising interest rates that will crash the bubble and the banks. And Jeremy, before we get into this, I just want to foreshadow, in a few minutes, you and I are going to be talking about our new Prime Minister, which is the big news. Mm -hmm. Last week when we recorded the show, it wasn't known who the Prime Minister was going to be, right? One of three possibilities. So now the new Prime Minister is Scott Morrison. And we've got a few things to say about mm -hmm. him. But that is now secondary news to the fact that um, what's happened in the last few days is actually a very big deal with the rising, with, with Westpac's decision to raise their interest rates. Because it's not just the implications of that, but the way it happened, right? Which is, which is why... Um, when people understand the dynamic that's in play here, you, you have to be realistic that we're heading for a crash, right? Mainly because a lot of this is outside of the authority's control. So here's what's happened. Westpac announced they're going to raise their interest rates by 0.14% or 14 basis points, right? Um, this is like a trigger mm. and you can expect other banks to follow suit. But I want people to listen to how Westpac Chairman Brian Hartzer justified the decision to the 7.30 report the other night on the ABC. Against the backdrop of constant revelations of misconduct in the banking sector, Westpac today raised variable interest rates out of cycle with the Reserve Bank, hitting its mortgage customers. With me to explain why is the bank's CEO, Brian Hartzer. Thank you very much for coming in. Thanks for having me. Your latest half-year profit was $4.2 billion. Why can't you use some of that to absorb the funding pressures instead of passing them on to customers? Well, first can I say, Lee, that this is a difficult decision. Any time that we're affecting people's cost of living, it's something we take very seriously. The reality is we borrow money to provide the funding for people's home loans and the cost of that funding has gone up. But an ordinary householder has to now work within their budget to absorb the extra money they'll have to pay out on their mortgage, yet one of the wealthiest institutions in the country can't do the same? Well, we have worn the cost of this for six months. Um, the key rate that's been affected here is the 90-day bank bill swap rate. That started to rise back in February. We've worn the cost of that over the last six months. We were hoping that that cost would go down. We, part of our job is to absorb the variability in markets. Um, so we were hoping it would go back down. We wouldn't have to make these changes. But six months on, we've sadly had to conclude that this is a more permanent change, or certainly it's going to persist for the while. And, and part of my job sometimes is to make difficult decisions that are about the long-term sustainability of our business, and that involves addressing increases in funding costs. So what is identified there? Jeremy, is 90-day debt. Mm. Now, what is 90... Or he, he referred to it as the 90-day BBSW swap rate. He said that's the key interest rate that's forced us to um, make this decision. What's he talking about? He's talking about the fact that the banks owe a lot of money on 90-day debt. And in case you don't, want that, don't get what that means, that means they borrow money that they have to pay back three months later. 
It has right? to be rolled over and rolled over and rolled over continuously. Well, it has to be rolled over because of the size of it. Mm -hmm. And um, the latest ABS figures for March, the March quarter, showed that Australia as a whole owed $456 billion overseas on 90-day debt, right, every three months. And that's why it has to be rolled over, because Australia cannot pay, in three months' time, in the next three months, pay $456 billion overseas. We can't do it. Mm -hmm. What we've got to do is you borrow more to pay out the, the debt that's coming due that day. And right. that's borrowed from overseas. That's borrowed from overseas. Which, of course, the interest rates are rising overseas, so it doesn't matter what our RBA does. Exactly. You know, and this is the problem. Exactly. The RBA has kept interest rates on hold mm. for uh, a record amount of time at this record low of mm. 1.5%, right? They could do that forever. But the, this amount of money the banks owe overseas, that's what is going up. Now, so this is what um, a lot of people will attack Brian Hartzer and Westpac for doing this. And of course, they are. You probably saw it over the news. And they deserve to be attacked for a lot, for a lot including for getting themselves into this position. However, what the public has to understand is this is the vulnerability of Australia. This is outside of our control. So I want to play another clip now. Martin North, who's the leading authority in terms of an analyst on this subject in Australia at the moment. Um, he's interviewed by the media all over the place because he is our, most, our foremost analyst on, on banks and mortgage market. Um, he made a quick post about it where he expects the banks to copy Westpac and more of this to happen. Today, Westpac blinks. Hello, it's Martin North from Digital Finance Analytics. Just a quick post to say that Westpac has announced that it is lifting its mortgage rates for variable loans by 14 basis points. This is slightly below the 19 basis point rise in the BBSW since February and frankly was flagged last week when they announced that their margins had been compressed and we discussed that in a separate post. So this marks the next round of tightening in my view in terms of mortgage rates. I expect other lenders to follow suit but not necessarily immediately and not necessarily in quite the same way. What this does show is that irrespective of what the Reserve Bank may choose to do with the cash rate, and I've said for some time I expect the cash rate to remain flat and possibly fall later, it's the out-of-cycle rates that are really going to hit home as households continue to struggle with their mortgage repayments and other costs of living in a flat income market. And this is yet another signal that the overall direction of home prices will be lower over the next few months, as we've been discussing in recent days. So in a way, no surprise, but I was expecting Westpac to be the first to move, and now it's occurred. In fact, I did say earlier on in the year it would be by September, so I'm pretty close. And so as Martin emphasised there, it's the, it's the, you know, the, the, the vulnerable borrowers that are going to get caught out by this. Right? And that has huge consequences if it leads to rising defaults. And that's where we're going. And one of the reasons is that you, that you can state that categorically is because of the Royal Commission. The Royal Commission has exposed, uh, well, it did a little bit. Other people have done a lot more, but the, the Royal Commission brought it more to the public's attention. There's a huge amount of fraud in mortgage lending for a long period of time. And, that, and the, the purpose of the fraud is because the, the banks wanted to lend more money. They ran out of people who could afford to borrow. 
So they, 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 they used fraud to justify lending to people who couldn't afford it. Mm -hmm. So they couldn't afford to borrow their existing, at their existing rates, right? The loans they've got now, they, they actually can't afford them. Now, they certainly can't afford rising interest rates. Now, we don't have time to go through it, but the CEC has just put out a press release today, um, which is based on an article in this week's issue of the Australian Alert Service. APRA chairman misled Senate on mortgage fraud. So I urge people to, you can call in for a free copy of the Alert Service if you want to read that or read the press release um, that you get on the email. Um, this is an ex this, this, that story goes through APRA's complicity in this fraud, some of the scale of it, right? And that is what is uh, the, 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 under the, the, the part of the iceberg that's under the water here, right? That, that means that as these interest rates inevitably rise, we're heading for a huge problem. And I just wanted to emphasize this one aspect of it. Um, Martin North has also made a post on his digital finance analytics page where he's reported some of UBS's latest work on the some of this fraud. And I want to put a chart up on the screen here. And the chart shows how, for the banks, the, the fraud worked. So what you have is major banks reduction in borrowing power. And I'll just explain the, the different columns. The first column is the various levels of income. But what the banks did, and didn't matter what income you had, they reported all expenses as $32,400. So if you borrowed 80,000, if you had 80,000 income, they said your expenses were $32,400. If you had $500,000 income, they said your expenses were $32,400. And that allowed them to lend huge amounts of money on those false estimates of expenses. Now the Royal Commission, in the, in the fourth column there, the Royal Commission has forced the banks to upgrade their actual estimates of expenses to more realistic ones. And that's drastically reduced how much money the banks can lend to those household income levels, right? And that's done two things. It's, it's reduced the amount of lending, the, the capacity to lend, plus more, more fundamentally, it has trapped existing borrowers who were lent on false pretenses in the mortgage they got. They cannot even refinance. The most stunning statistic is the percentage of re, the rejection rate for borrowers applying to refinance in the last less than 12 months has shot up 1,250% because the banks cannot let them refinance. They don't qualify for any other type of loan because they don't qualify for their existing loan. Mm. Martin North estimates about half of existing borrowers are trapped in their current loan. This is insane. This is the liar loans too. That exactly. People, just about all the, all the loans are, are actually based on a fraud of income assessments which actually don't actually exist. But uh, Denise Braley, an expert on this, is, you know, she said straight out that most of these loans are liar loans. And, but Denise also mm. says, this is fundamental, mm. who were the liars? Mm. Not the borrowers, mm -mm. the banks. This is the fraud question. Mm. And if these people cannot escape their mortgage by refinancing mm. and interest rates are going up, there's only one other option for them, that's to default. Mm. And that threatens the bubble, the housing bubble, and that threatens the banks, mm. right? And that's why we need a, a total revamp of the banking system, starting with the Glass-Steagall separation of the banks, which we have the bill for in Parliament. Let's take a break there. When we come back, we're going to talk about Scott Morrison and his role in this. Welcome back to the CEC Report. We were discussing Australia can't control rising interest rates that will crash the bubble and the criminal banks. And now, Jeremy, let's get on to the criminal banks part of it. So before the break, we were talking about the, the consequences of the mortgage fraud due to these criminal banks, which is leading Australia to a, a financial crash. 
in the context of rising interest rates. One of the reasons we have such a big problem here is because the criminality of the banks was protected for so long. And one of the main protectors of that criminality in the banks, political protectors, is now our Prime Minister, That's Scott exactly Morrison. Right. Mm. Now, we've put out a, a release, and, and the title is Prime Minister Scott Morrison, Mr. Caveat Emptor. Why do we call him that? You only have to have a look. Is his history, uh, you know, going back to the days when he was in the, the property council, which created this whole property bubble. Uh, you, you have a look at his recent history, where he's said, and, and I'll quote, this is what he said, as Treasurer, just on the 3rd of August, he said, uh, too often we, the customers, have become complicit in allowing the debt to be stacked against us. You can guarantee it, the more passive a customer is, the worse deal they are going to get. And now, this caveat emptor... He's talking about the banks there. Yeah, yeah. Deal from the banks. This caveat emptor, that's Latin for let the buyer beware. So, in other words, you know, if you're swindled, it's your fault. And, and that's a, it's effectively what Scott Morrison is saying there. And the term for that yeah. is victim blaming. Mm. When it comes to the banks, Scott Morrison has blamed the victims and said, it's your fault, you're too passive, that's why. Whereas mm. the Royal Commission has revealed real crimes, mm -hmm. right? There's, there's no, this is not a free market dynamic here. We're talking about actual criminality. It has to be said, Jeremy, we'll put a picture on the, on the, um, on the screen that was provided to us by uh, victims of financial fraud, John Telford. Where he, had, he made a comment on this based on that quote you just read out where um, Morrison says the bank victims have been too passive. Well, remember, a big chunk of those bank victims were dead people. That mm -hmm. CBA was still charging well mm -hmm. after they were dead. I suppose that's, maybe that's who he was talking about. That's the definition mm -hmm. of passive, mm -hmm. right? Um, and remember, you know, when there's all these talk for royal commissions and royal commissions for, for years... He was voting against it consistently, and he even called it a populist whinge. You know, you don't want this. Uh, it was covering up for the banks. No, there's, no, there's no two ways about it. Now, let me put it, this, this permeates his whole view of everything, right? So yesterday when, when Westpac raised rates, all the politicians did their, you know, rah, 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 bad Westpac. Of course, without intending to do a thing about it. Um, so Morrison did, the, did that whole routine as well. But then he said this when he was talking about... Um, what the customer should do. In other words, putting the owners on the customer. Just have a quick look. You don't like what Westpac's done? Go to another bank. So, the, so again, he puts the onus entirely on the customer. And I have to say this, um, one of our wits here in the office made the point when Scott Morrison says, just go to another bank, it is quicker to change the Prime Minister of Australia than it is to change your bank. Yeah, right? You're, you're stuck, That's the you're bottom stuck line. In there, usually there, there's no way. And you go to another bank, what other bank? They're all, all much of the same, same business model, the big four. And, and they're know, all going to raise rates if they haven't yeah, already. You know? yeah. they, and they know that, right? This is callousness. Anyway, let's get down to brass tacks. This is, this is where it gets serious. In your article that you wrote in this week's alert service, Jeremy, on this, um, you asked this question on the victim-blaming stuff. Would Morrison also blame abused children for tempting pedophiles. Now, why is that an especially relevant question for this Prime Minister? You only have to go back to Morrison's maiden speech about a decade ago. You know, he said, you know, one of his mentors, Brian Hewson, now Brian Hewson, Hillsong pastor, was the head of the Assemblies of God Church in Australia. You know, he, his father was a serial pedophile. And now, we're, we're not, you know, look, that's Scott not, Morrison... That's not Morrison's that's responsibility. Not, that's, 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 that's not about exactly him, yeah. right. But... You've got to say, look, here you've got Brian Hewson. That's Scott Morrison's mentor. Now, Brian Hewson 
was covering up this crime and it's on record, you go back to the, the Royal Commission into Child Sexual Abuse and it's on record Brian Houston covered up this crime and didn't go about it the right way. Not only that, Brian Houston, according to testimony from victims, he said, oh, it's the, it's the children's fault that they were abused. He said, you tempted my father. Think about that. You, that you tempted my father. Now, how could anyone say that? Now, he denies it, but this is in the, the testimony, and you go and read it, and why would that victim lie about that? And this is, and now let me, let me say this, because this is, this is quite disturbing, mm. um, and, you know, and, and, I'll, I'll, and I'll say this as well. Brian Houston heads the biggest church in Australia, and it's one of the reasons that people don't like talking about this, because politicians, it's such a huge church, politicians flock to it to, to sort of ingratiate themselves to that body of people so they can be sure they get them on side for voting and those things. And when that kind of power is, is at stake, then you, this is when things get overlooked. Um, it's, it's the quality of what they teach in that church, though, that we also take exception to. It's called prosperity gospel, mm. right? It's not, it's a, I call it a, as someone who has a, a history in um, uh, uh, Christianity, mm. right? Um, very well versed in it. Um, this, this might be just my view, but I call it perverse Christianity because mm. the, I think what they teach there goes hand in hand with victim blaming and with neoliberalism. Yeah, yeah. Give well, us some examples well, of that. Think about you know, Morrison's mentor, Brian Houston. One of Brian Houston's books is that you need more money discovering God's amazing financial plan for your future. Now think about that. You know, what, what sort of a book is that? Has that got anything to do with Christianity? They I, don't, define, I don't think what so. What they do is they define God's blessing as yeah. you getting monetary wealth. Yeah. That yeah. is a def, that if, if you get monetary wealth, God is blessing you. Yeah. The flip side of that is if you aren't wealthy, yeah. God is not blessing you and it must be something you have done wrong. Yeah, well, this is the whole neoliberal model. You know, it's, it's victim blaming. You know, if, if you haven't succeeded, well, it must be your fault. Not the system's fault. And yeah. actually, in actual fact, the whole globalisation system is the one that is pushing people further and further backwards. I mean, take, for instance, the property market, which, of course, Morrison has a big role in that in his former job as in and the property council yeah. and his current or, and his previous job as treasurer. Uh, you know, property, who can afford property these days? You've, you've written off an entire generation of young people who can't afford a house anymore. And I'll, we'll, just, we'll just identify a couple of other things about Morrison while we're on the subject. Um, you know, how does Christianity reconcile with what he did to refugees by mm. imposing the offshore detention mm. up there where children were locked up indefinitely, mm -hmm. right? Which is, I can't reconcile that with Christianity or with being an Australian, by the way. Mm. The... And the finally, um, just quickly in the time we've got, the, there's big questions about how we even got into Parliament. Yeah, well, actually, this is a, a long-going story. But more recently, just in the last few days, uh, Sam Dastiari, a former MP, Labor MP, came out and said that uh, Morrison's group came to the Labor Party to get, dig up dirt on, on one of the, the candidates who was pre-selected. So actually, Morrison was very unpopular in his local branch. He only got eight votes to, to the other candidates, 80. Uh, and then the Murdoch media, they did a, a dirt campaign, a very vicious dirt campaign against the, the Liberal candidate. And he was ousted and then Morrison got in. Uh, but at the end of the day, uh, you know, he wasn't actually popular in his own branch. 
Thanks, Jeremy. There's a lot more on that. People can get it from the Australian Alert Service if they get a copy. Let's take a quick break. Welcome back to the CEC report. Finally, prepare for a fake chemical attack in Syria as regime change fails. Um, the purpose of this story, Jeremy, is Russia is warning again, and I'll emphasise again, that, that extremists, Islamist extremists in Syria, terrorists, are planning to orchestrate a, a chemical attack. Now, Russia m warned this before the April 2018 uh. attack and before the April 2017 attack. They've warned it both times. Those attacks have gone ahead. Syria was blamed and Trump bombed Syria in the last time with, with Britain and France, right? It's um, very concerning. But many, no, no experts have said this has made sense for two years because for two years, Syria's been winning this war, mm. right? There's no point in them doing something that's going to incur the wrath of the United States down on them. And even British generals were saying this, right? No one, no, no one credible actually believed it. And then, of course, the Organisation for the Prohibition of Chemical Weapons went and tested the last site and said what was claimed just didn't happen. There's no proof of it there at all. So we're reporting Russia's warning because it is credible. And the most important point about it is regime change in Syria has failed. There's one little pocket left of extremists that there's a final cleanup job. And that's why this is they're probably going to likely orchestrate this to as a last gasp to try and revive regime change. And in that context, Jeremy, we want to remember the late US Senator John McCain. And why in that context is because he was been one of, he's one of the great champions of regime change in the world in the last couple of decades. And before I'll preface it though, before in this in our latest alert service here, we actually devote a page to John McCain. And the headline is Senator John McCain wanted to restore the Glass-Steagall Act. Here's why. So we don't we had some common ground with this guy, right? He was one of the people in the US Congress that was for Glass-Steagall and has sponsored a bill that's that's in there. So we applaud him for that. But mm, a big but a big but his role in the destruction of the Middle East in the last two decades cannot be glossed over. I want to note it with a series of photos. Um, the first one, this is Senator John McCain with his sidekick, Senator Lindsey Graham. And the gentleman they're with is the boss of the Libyan Islamic fighting group in Libya in 2011. Now, it was called the LIFG in Libya. It was otherwise known as Al-Qaeda. That guy's organisation flew two planes into the Twin Towers and killed 3,000 Americans. But when it came to overthrowing another country, John McCain was more than happy to get into bed with him. The second picture, this is John McCain with Islamist extremists in Syria. And there's a whole bunch of rogues in this particular picture. I'll point out um, some of the people are some, sometimes get misidentified. So when you see this particular picture on the web, don't believe everything you see because some of it's not proved. But the one that is proved is the man in the doorway, the short guy, at the time of this photo, his group was holding a heap of hostages that they'd kidnapped mm. for ransom, right? When this came out, John McCain was criticised in America, but he didn't mind. When it came, he was more than happy to, to sponsor extremists mm -hmm. if he wanted regime change in a country. In that time, the target was Syria, and that one has failed, John McCain. So he, he has died knowing it's failed. Final one is, this is John McCain in Ukraine in 2014 with Oleg... Tanya Book of Svoboda, the leading neo-Nazi in Ukraine, and that's who he was happy to ally with to overthrow the Ukrainian government because of his bitter hatred of everything Russian. 
So that's John McCain. That's what we have to say about him. That's all we have time, Jeremy. Thanks very much. Thanks, Robbie. Thanks for tuning in. Tune in next week for more.